0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We will continue our study through Paul's first letter to Corinth, to the church in Corinth. Last week we began our study of this letter by noting some very encouraging things that Paul said to the church in Corinth. We saw how Paul was reminded, or how Paul reminded them of their divine calling, How they are sanctified in Christ Jesus, which means they're set apart or made holy by virtue of their union with him, merely by faith. We saw also that God is the source of all grace, and when that grace takes root in the hearts of his people, those people begin to bear the fruit of peace in their souls and in their relationships with one another. Tonight we move on from Paul's greeting to his customary section of thanksgiving which is found at the beginning of most of his letters. A thanksgiving, or gratitude, this thanksgiving, or gratitude will be the main focus tonight. Paul takes time to point out to the Corinthians the evidences of grace in them that were occasions for Paul to express his gratitude to God. And as we'll see, these evidences of grace and the overflow of thanksgiving in Paul both confront us and encourage us. Grace is both the occasion and the fountain of gratitude in our hearts. But gratitude will never stay in our hearts. Genuine gratitude will always work its way up to our lips. So let's begin by reading 1 Corinthians 4 through 9. We'll just be focusing on 4 and 5 tonight. Hear the word of our Lord. I give thanks to my God always for you. Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thus ends the reading of God's perfect and holy word for us. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would work tonight by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the proclamation of your word to build up your people, to instill within all of us hearts of gratitude, overflowing with thankfulness for the work that you have done for us in Christ. And for the evidences of grace that we see in others around us, make us into encouraging, thankful people who speak words of life wherever we go, not people of critical spirit not people that are judgmental, but help us to speak like Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Tonight we'll see three things, how Paul prioritized gratitude, how he grounds gratitude in grace, and how he gives voice to his gratitude. Those again, in regards to Paul's gratitude, he prioritizes it, he grounds it in grace, and he gives voice to it. Let's look at the first one. Look at verse 4, and we'll see how Paul prioritized gratitude. Verse 4 says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. I give thanks to my God always for you. Paul is speaking to a church full of division, a church that he had planted not, not too long before. And in his absence, this church is tolerating sexual sin openly. This church is hating one another and how they observe the Lord's Supper. This church has turned spiritual gifts, which themselves are evidences of grace, and therefore should promote our humility. They've instead turned those gifts into a means of boasting. They were proud. And yet, Paul says something that is unbelievable I give thanks to my God always for you. I continually thank God. For you, this church that's caused all of his headaches and problems, this church that's produced heartache for him after heartache, Paul's thankful for them. And here's where Paul's gratitude, his thankfulness, confronts us. Paul thanks God for this group of sinners because of the grace that he saw in them. He's not focused so much on how the Corinthians church has inconvenienced him. He's not focused on how immature they are. Or how forgetful they were. Or how much grief they've caused them. Paul Paul thanks God for them. Thankful for even a source of such grief. And that's supernatural gratitude. So the question for us is do we have that kind of gratitude? I know that I don't. Perhaps when the children are acting up and disobeying. Consider your heart in that moment. Are you thankful to God for them in the moment of acting up? I'm sure not. I'm frustrated with how I'm being inconvenienced, how much more work they're making for me, how my comfort, my ease is being hampered. Or when someone sins against you, are you thankful to God for the evidences of grace in their life? When you're gossiped about or you're caused heartache and grief, just like Corinth was causing pain to Paul's heart, are you still or can you still be thankful to God for his grace shown to that person in Christ Jesus? Or are you ungrateful? You wish that they'd be brought to justice rather than grace. That they would receive penalty and punishment rather than pardon in Christ. When someone bothers us and annoys us or sins against us, we're tempted to complain and turn the situation all about me rather than looking at the big picture and seeing God's grace in them. Rather than... Complaining about the messes in the house, perhaps I should be thankful to God for the grace of a house to live in. Rather than grumbling about noisy children, perhaps I should thank God for the gift of children at all. Or murmuring about problems at work, instead when I should be thanking God for the grace of a job. Rather than pointing out all the problems in the relationships, the people that I see all around me, maybe I should thank God that anyone would want to count me a friend. Why is the lack of thankfulness in our hearts such a great sin? That's because ingratitude is a heart-level sin that indicates a proud heart. When I am unthankful for my situation, I assume several things to be true. I assume that I don't deserve this. I deserve better. These problems should be for somebody else because I'm really the person whose actions have merited my own peace and comfort. I'm not the problem. I'm not a rotten sinner who's broken God's law. I deserve better. Ingratitude not only shows I'm assuming that I am better than I really am, it also shows that I'm assuming things about God, that He's worse than He really is. My heart is saying, if God is really good, then He would have given me this or that. He wouldn't make me deal with this problem again. He hasn't removed my source of frustration, so God hasn't given me what he should have, so he must not be worthy of my praise and gratitude. But we don't just doubt his goodness, we doubt his wisdom. We assume in our pride we know what's best. I'm going to be ungrateful because I don't deserve this problem. I'm the one who sees everything rightly, and in my infallible wisdom, I know the best way that things should happen, and they're not happening that way. God's wisdom is not sufficient for me. He really should check with me before he does anything. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve these annoyances. I deserve peace. I don't deserve this taxing job. I deserve comfort. I don't deserve this sickness. I deserve health. In short, ingratitude says I don't deserve death. I deserve life. I've earned it. A heart devoid of thanksgiving to God is a proud heart that ultimately believes we are righteous and therefore don't deserve these problems and these pains. But a thankful heart, a heart overflowing with gratitude, is a heart that recognizes our weaknesses and our sins and our dependence upon God and praises God for the gifts of grace in our lives and secondarily in the lives of others. And here we need the word of God to show us our hearts because ingratitude can be subtle. It's a form of pride that can deceive us. We can have a heart that feels entitled to things, that views the Christian life as a balance, as a set of scales. Right? I put in my effort, my hard work. I've prayed, I've served, I've suffered, I've done this, therefore I don't deserve this. The scales don't equal out. My effort outweighs. I don't deserve this treatment. I don't deserve this trial. I don't deserve this delay in my plans. But the Christian life is not a scale of merit and reward. Christ and His graces are not a reward for you and your hard work and your faithfulness. Faith and blessing are not earned by hard work and good effort. The Christian life is a gift from start to finish. All of it is of grace, every bit of it. If Christ and an easy life were rewards for the faithful, then they would cease to be grace. They would be what you've earned. They would be your wages. And that's where we must start if we are ever to have our handle on hearts of thanksgiving. Gratitude starts with recognizing and prioritizing grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is that He came and He lived a thankless life. He was born... He lived, he served, and he died for an ungrateful people. They did not appreciate his work. They didn't listen to his message. They despised his example. Not only were they ungrateful for him, they hated him and they killed him. But Christ came anyway. He came knowing that he would be treated in that way. He didn't respond to their ingratitude with condemnation, which would have been just. He didn't retaliate in that moment. He didn't bite back or revile, Scripture says. He responded with meekness and compassion even when his love was on display the most. Can you imagine when he was being crucified, bleeding out and suffocating on the cross? When his love was perhaps on display in the most visible way in that moment, laying his life down for his people and they were cursing him. They were spitting upon him. They were mocking him. Whatever the opposite of gratitude is, that's what they were doing in that moment. And yet, Christ came and died. Died for sinners like me and like you. Even though I'm often grumbling and complaining, even though I have a pridefully inflated view of myself, even though I think I'm wiser than God and therefore I don't think I need to deal with this kind of stuff, even though... I don't appreciate God's grace in my life or in the lives of others. Christ came and lived a thankless life and died a thankless death for a bunch of ingrates like me. That's the wild message of the gospel. I should have died for my ingratitude, but Christ gives me life. I earned punishment, but He gives me promises instead. I'm worthy of nothing, but Christ gives me everything. Do you find a lack of thankfulness in your heart Are you an unthankful person in your situation or for what you're dealing with in life right now? Then think about the grace of Jesus. Consider how He's taken the punishment that you should have had and how He's given you the life that you never earned. Think about how much worse you deserve and yet how many graces He's given to you. And if you don't yet trust in Jesus, if you're not resting in the goodness of Jesus as your only hope in life and death, then know that this grace... Is a limited time offer. He will not hold out his offer of forgiveness forever. You will soon die and find yourself standing before the throne of God in eternal judgment. And if you don't have the grace of Jesus Christ to plead as your only way of salvation. Then you will be cast into utter darkness for all of eternity. To a place that scripture calls hell. Do not ignore this message of forgiveness. And don't reject his grace and trample upon his good news. This could be the only chance you have to receive His mercy. You are not promised tomorrow. Come to Him and receive the grace of forgiveness and have your ungrateful heart of stone replaced with a thankful heart of flesh. Come and taste of the fountain of joy that is union with Jesus Christ and faith in Him and come and see what satisfaction can be found in life when you've experienced His mercy. Then you too can be thankful always to your God. And to my God, for the grace that he's shown to you. Paul prioritized gratitude. Second, and very much related to the first point, Paul grounds his gratitude in grace. He grounds his gratitude in grace. I'll read verse 4 again. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. I give thanks to God, he says, and why? For the grace of God that was given to you, to the Corinthians. Specifically for the grace of God that was evident in their lives. Grace in others results in gratitude in Paul. And that's instructive for us. When we're seeking to cultivate thankful hearts, are we intentional about finding evidences of grace in others? When you're thinking about your family, are you regularly pointing out evidences of grace in their lives? Or are you instead critical, pointing out all the flaws, all the weaknesses, all the inadequacies? When you speak about people at work or at church, are you quick to speak of the fruits of grace in their lives? How they've, how they've grown, how, how they're improving their strengths, their gifts? Or are you more easily finding fault, pointing out their shortcomings? Just as I tried to show before that pride undercuts gratitude in our hearts, we can see here that a critical spirit is contrary to a heart that is grateful to God. Or to say it another way, a heart overflowing with gratitude for God will not be a heart dominated by a critical spirit. A critical spirit can manifest itself in different ways. It can rear its head as judgmentalism. Right? An overly critical spirit. You're never satisfied. You're always fault-finding, never pleased. The spirit often lacks empathy for the viewpoint of another. Because he already has the correct view and could never even conceive, conceive of a possibility of someone else's view being right. The spirit is deadly in relationships, particularly when parents are never satisfied with their children's performance. But a critical spirit can also manifest itself in gossip or slander. Rather than seeking out the good evidences of grace in the lives of others, we instead speak of their faults, their weaknesses, their sins. We speak of them in a non-redemptive way. That is a way that doesn't seek their good. We can be tempted to tell tales of others because we're drawn to scandal. Or because we want to be in the know. We like the attention and we can get a bit of excitement from controversy. We like to be the one with all the knowledge, the center of the informational hub. We like feeling important, like having everybody come to us to find the juicy bits of information. It's really a pride-fueled power trip. A critical spirit can also manifest itself in complaining. Right? A spirit that is habitually negative. Constantly expressing dissatisfaction with someone or something. We've all been around someone like this. They're going on and on and you feel the life being sucked out of you in the conversation. It's draining. They're never satisfied with what God has given them. They're dominated by discontentment and that discontentment manifests itself in ingratitude. Rather than having these different expressions of a critical heart, Paul is here expressing gratitude to God for the grace found in the Corinthian believers. And he is a wonderful example of what gratitude can do to our perception of others and our expression to God. Remember, Paul could have legitimately listed out all the ways that the Corinthians were wrong and were in sin and had gone off the rails. And it would have been true, but he didn't. He instead goes through the effort of pointing out the fruits of grace in their lives. And notice the manner in which he does it. In the following verses he lists out reasons, various evidences of grace in the Corinthians. They were enriched in Jesus, verse 5. They were graced in speech and in knowledge, verse 5. The testimony of Christ was confirmed among them, verse 6. They were not lacking in any gift, verse 7. They were sustained by God, verse 8. They will be guiltless in the end, verse 8. And they were called into fellowship with Jesus. Verse 9. Paul's expression of gratitude and his encouragement to the Corinthians was specific. And that's instructive for us. When you're giving encouragement, do you offer specific thankfulness for God's grace in the life of the one that you're encouraging? Let me give an example. Sweetheart. I'm so thankful that God let me marry such an encouraging woman like you. See the specificity? Not, I'm, just, I'm thankful for you. Honey, I'm so thankful that God has given me such a hard-working husband. Or perhaps when the kids are bouncing off the walls. Kids, I'm so glad that God has blessed you with such energy and zeal for life. I can't wait to see how he's going to use that for his kingdom. Now let's sit down. When we use these words and we intentionally point out evidences of grace in people's lives, we will see our words become blessings, become encouragements to the soul of people around us. I know it's true in my life. I can still remember conversations I had years ago that really lifted my spirits. and They usually involve someone very good at encouragement, specifically pointing out why they were thankful for something I did or said. That's a wonderful use of the tongue to speak encouragement into someone's soul. And Paul is exemplifying Proverbs 18, 21 about how the tongue can speak words of life. Do you have a tongue that speaks words of encouragement and life? Or do you have a tongue that's controlled by a hard, critical spirit that instead speaks words of death to someone's soul? Do you find yourself playing the part of the grumbler, complainer, or the gossip If that's you, then you need to know that it's not just the tongue that needs to be tamed. It's much deeper than that. Jesus says that these critical words come from within and that it is an overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks, just as Daniel mentioned earlier. If your tongue speaks with critical words, it's because your heart is proud and unthankful. Whatever comes out is merely revealing what's already there. And our problem of heart is not merely a lack of self-control over our tongue. Our problem is that we cannot change our own hearts. We can't do enough religion, attend enough church services, we can't give enough money to the poor, or say enough prayers, or manufacture enough encouraging words to change our hearts. We can't do it. But the good news of the Bible is that Jesus has provided a way for us to have new hearts. One of the promises that Jesus makes to his people is that they would have new hearts given to him than when they believe in him. He's the only one that can change our hearts. The very core of our being, the source of our sin problem. He implants within us a heart of faith that beats with love for him. And he does this by the work of his Holy Spirit, whom he pours out upon us when we come to him. And it's only when we have this new heart this heart that's guided by the Holy Spirit, that we can ever begin to replace our critical spirit with a heart of love. We can begin to speak words of life because He has already spoken words of life in our hearts. We can begin to encourage because He has already encouraged us. And we can be thankful because we've tasted of His grace and forgiveness and love. Don't give in again to the temptation to be critical and harsh. Don't be judgmental always looking for people's flaws and problems. Be like Paul. Be like Paul who spoke words of encouragement to a fractured church in Corinth by praising God for the evidences of grace he saw in them. And be like Jesus, who doesn't speak to us negatively and linger on our weaknesses. Instead, he speaks to us life by his very words. Paul grounds his gratitude for the Corinthians and the grace that they've received in Jesus Christ and that he sees in their lives. May we ever be as encouraging as Paul. By pointing out evidences of grace in others. And praising God for such graces. It leads to my final point about gratitude. We saw already that Paul prioritized gratitude. That he grounded it in grace. And we can see also that Paul gives voice to his gratitude. He gives voice to his gratitude. It is true in life. That when we have genuine gratitude, we will say something about it. Unexpressed gratitude is usually no gratitude at all. Think about a child on Christmas morning. When they open the package and it's exactly what their heart has been set upon. What do they say? Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Right? They're just bubbling out of them. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 15, that grace is given to others in part so that gratitude may abound. 2 Corinthians 4.15 For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God. So grace is given to more and more, so that thanksgiving may increase. God shares His grace, so that we might erupt with praise and thanksgiving back to Him. It's a clear theme throughout Scripture, especially in the Psalms. David and the other psalmists link thankfulness of heart with praise to God. Here are a couple of examples. Psalm 7, 17. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord. He says, I will give thanks, and I will praise. Psalm 28, 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. When my heart exults, I give thanks. I counted over 50 times that the psalmist linked praise and thanksgiving together. Thankfulness expressed as praise is natural for us. Paul is thankful to God and that thankfulness overflows with action. We need to remember that when it comes to examining our hearts as it relates to thankfulness and gratitude. We should be expressive. If I'm never expressing gratitude, either to God or to others, then I need to watch out. That's not natural. If I'm a genuinely thankful person, then I should be expressing such. If I'm really thankful for my wife, then I will tell her so. If I'm thankful for my children, then I will express that. If I'm thankful for my coworkers, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, then I will say it. And the same is true for God. If I'm thankful for God and His grace, then I will give voice to it. I will praise Him. I will pray to Him, thanking Him. I will sing to Him with a heart of thanksgiving. But a heart that is stoic, that is unmoved, is unwilling to express thankfulness, is a heart that hasn't really experienced grace. We're called to instead be people that constantly express our gratitude and express it in a variety of ways. Again, going back to the Psalms, here are a few of the different ways: sing praises to the name of the Lord. 717. Recount all the Lord's wonderful deeds. 9 1. Proclaim thanksgiving aloud, 26 7. Give thanks to the Lord with a song, 28 7. Give thanks forever. 30 12. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp. 33 2. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Which assumes something costly. Is your thanksgiving costly? We could go on and on. The point is that genuine thankfulness will express itself to God and will express itself in a variety of ways. And we should be a people that ever have the praise of God on our lips because we have the grace of God in our hearts. Hearts, of, hearts full of grace will produce lips full of praise. But what if I don't feel like it? What if I don't feel like thanking God? Life is hard. I don't, I don't feel like it right now. The answer is we need to remember what the Bible says, not merely what our feelings say. Biblical truth can and should change our feelings and stir our hearts. The Bible says that I have violated God's law, not merely by accident. I've done it with a high hand, rebellion. Rather than being thankful that God would reveal his word to me and his moral standard in my heart, I respond by trampling all over his standard of righteousness. Rather than being generous and sharing with others, I'm greedy and stingy. Rather than being tender and compassionate, I lose my temper and fly off the handle. Rather than trusting God and walking through life with humble confidence in Him, I worry, I sweat, I'm anxious about something new every day. We could go on and on listing ways that we've all sinned. And even though each of these deserves countless lifetimes of pain and misery and death. I still do it. I've spat in the face of the eternal creator of the universe and mocked people made in his image. I've sought my own way. I'm just like the prodigal son whose ingratitude for his father drove him to run away in rebellion. But God in his goodness didn't let me run too far. He drew me back by His grace. He washed my soul with His precious blood. And not only that, He's promised that He won't even remember my sins. He won't bring them up in a critical or judgmental way. He doesn't even keep a record of wrongs because He's taking care of all of them on the cross. He's granted a new heart to His people, a new heart, a new life, and even more, He's granted them adoption into His very own household. Jesus is not merely our Savior and our friend. He's our brother. See, we've got as much rights to the divine inheritance waiting for us in heaven as Jesus does Himself. And that divine inheritance includes a new resurrected body on the other side of the grave. A body that won't be achy and tired. It won't wear out and break. It won't be dominated by sin and a a heart that won't have to battle with evil anymore. No more tiresome skirmishes with temptation No more falling back into the same old ruts. Freedom from sin forevermore. And to top that off, we have eternity to spend with our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Nothing to interrupt, nothing to cast us out, nothing to spoil the sweet satisfaction and joy that comes from full communion with God Almighty in the face of Jesus Christ. And when you hear of that great news, doesn't it make your heart lift? And if you linger on that truth, aren't you encouraged with joy about the grace of God in Jesus Christ? And if you do it long enough, it will stir your heart to want to express thankfulness to God for all of His precious gifts that are given to us in Jesus Christ. I hope that these statements of truth about the grace of Jesus Christ can and do warm your hearts toward expressing gratitude for the grace that's been shown to us in Jesus This is the gospel, the good news, and this is the bedrock, the foundation of our faith. This is the ground of our assurance and the root of our hope, the foundation for our life and the motivation for our thanksgiving. Think hard and often about this Jesus and have your heart stirred to praise and thanksgiving and gratitude for what we've been made partakers of in the gospel. And if you've not tasted of this gratitude, then hear the offer laid out before you. Repent of your sins and trust in the Savior of the world and come to him, the only one who can give you a new heart. And then you'll see that heart will overflow with thanksgiving to God for the grace of Jesus Christ.